Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Nick Olick, Duke Plastic Surgery residents with The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our quick hit series and discussing lymphedema. Nick, do you want to start us off by just going over an overview of what lymphedema is? Let's do it. So lymphedema is a progressive condition characterized by local or systemic failure of lymphatic transport. So there's two different kinds of lymphedema, primary and secondary. Primary results from abnormally formed lymphatic channels resulting in congenital lymphedema or lymphedema developed later in life, while secondary lymphedema results from destruction or pathology of normally formed lymphatic channels. The primary role of the lymphatic system is to remove interstitial fluid from the body and return lymph, lymph which is made up of protein and fat, back into the circulation. When the lymphatic system is interrupted by primary or secondary lymphedema, an accumulation of lymphatic fluid occurs. This increases the osmotic pressure and leads to fluid collection in the interstitium. This then leads to chronic, a chronic pro-inflammatory state, resulting in ongoing inflammation, the formation of fibrosis, decrease in lymphatic channels, and an increase in subcutaneous adipose tissue deposition. So there's a couple different types of primary lymphedema. Primary lymphedema is characterized by early onset of symptoms, a lack of inciting events, and a positive family history. So a couple of the specific types. Uh, the first is Milroy's disease. This is an X-length autosomal dominant form of primary lymphedema. Typically, this presents at birth with unilateral pitting edema. Patients exhibit normal growth, have a normal uh, MRI on imaging, and there can be ocular involvement in this disease. Lymphedema precox. This is a non-congenital congenital form of primary lymphedema, and this occurs before puberty. Lymphedema tarda. Uh, this is another example of primary lymphedema that mainly manifests in midlife. Proteus syndrome is a uh, syndrome involving lymphedema in which you have vascular, lymphatic, skeletal, and soft tissue abnormalities and overgrowth. You also may have lipomatosis and capillary malformations. Next is clipal trenine. Um, this is a syndrome of capillary malformations, varicosities, limb hypertrophy in the absence of AV fistula limb length, length discrepancies, and MRIs revealing slow flow. So those are kind of the, the commonly seen primary lymphedema uh, syndromes. Now for secondary lymphedema, this can occur after trauma, surgery, or radiation, and symptoms may occur months to years after the inciting event. So the most common cause of secondary lymphedema worldwide is actually uh, infection with uh, Rucheria bancrofti. And then in the United States, uh, the most common is surgical uh, trauma. So the incidence of upper extremity lymphedema following surgery and radiation for breast cancer ranges from 4 to 49%. If a sentinel lymph node biopsy is performed, uh, there's a 5 to 7% incidence of lymphedema. And if an axillary lymph node dissection is performed, this goes up to 39%. And if an inguinal lymph node dissection is performed, this is 66% risk of lymphedema. As far as uh, diagnosing lymphedema, we begin by ruling out other diagnosis uh, for unilateral swelling, things like venous insufficiency, deep vein thrombosis, uh, congestive heart failure, and renal failure. Then we think about stages of lymphedema after we make our diagnosis. So stage zero would be a clinically normal extremity, but with abnormal lymph transport on lymphocenterophy. Stage one, patients begin to experience early progressive swelling from distal to proximal. This improves with limb elevation and pitting edema is observed. In this stage, serial limb measurements are helpful to follow the progression. In stage two, pitting edema um, does not resolve with elevation. And you'll see 
excess fibrosis and fat that may begin in late stage two. Stage three, um, which is also called lymphostatic elephantiasis, the tissues demonstrate induration, fibrotic skin changes, absence of pitting, and dermatologic changes, like the pu de orange, hyperkeratosis, and polypoid nodules. While we're looking at each of these stages, we're looking for something called the stemmer sign. And this could be a tip-off that lymphedema may be the cause of the swelling. This is when the skin cannot be tinted. This is typically at the base of the second toe, the dorsal skin of the toe. Um, this distinguishes this from venous insufficiency. This is a result of decreased uh, skin pliability. Hannah, do you want to take from here and talk about some workup and treatment options? Yes, thanks, Nick. So the first line for a workup is to get a radionuclide a lymphocentigraphy. And this assesses the function of the lymphatic channels and drainage into the lymph node basins. It can be used to evaluate the severity of lymphedema and assess for anatomic abnormalities such as obstruction or reduced lymphatic channels. And this is the most commonly used diagnostic uh, method. So MR lymphocentigraphy has been developed to provide superior high-resolution anatomic images of the lymphatic system and to characterize the soft tissue changes associated with lymphedema. In the sign in green, lymphangiography offers real-time visualization of lymphatic flow and is helpful in patients who cannot undergo MR. Next, we'll discuss the treatment of lymphedema. So non-surgical treatment includes elevation, skin care, elastic stockings with at least 20 millimeters of mercury of compression, physical therapy, and pneumatic compression devices. And this is a lifelong commitment for patients and does require very high patient compliance. Non-surgical treatment is also called complete decongestive therapy and is the initial treatment for nearly all patients. If patients progress to surgery, the goal is to improve the patient's functional status, lessen the burden of the non-surgical therapies by reducing the reliance on compression, and to decrease the risk of infections. And there are two categories of surgical treatments, physiologic procedures and ablative surgeries. Physiologic procedures promote antigrade flow of lymph via bypasses or induction of lymph angiogenesis, and they should be considered early on in the course of the disease to optimize lymph drainage. Ablative surgeries debulk areas of lymphedema to reduce morbidity. They can be formed at any stage of lymphedema, they're usually reserved for later stages when the physiologic interventions are not possible. And then just keep in mind, in patients with morbid obesity with a BMI of greater than 50, the first step is bariatric surgery. We'll go through two of the physiologic operations, which are lymphovenous bypass and vascularized lymph node transfer. So lymphovenous by bypass or lymphovenous anastomosis, this is a bypass operation that serves to redirect excess lymphatic fluid into the venous circulation by anastomosing superficial lymphatic vessels at the level of the dermis to nearby venules. So prior to surgery, indocyanin green lymphangiography is performed to determine the location of the lymphatic vessels. This is injected distally and a near-infrared camera is used to detect the lymphatic channels. Their course is traced and transverse incisions are made over the marked channels. The lymphatic channels and venules are identified and anastomosed either end-to-end -end or end-to-side with 11 or 12 O's suture. Uh, patency is confirmed by visualizing integrated flow. The second physiologic operation is a vascularized lymph node transfer. This technique is typically used when the native lymph node basins are dysfunctional, so an LVA would not work. 
So this technique is thought to promote local lymphangiogenesis through production of vascular endothelial growth factor. Common donor sites include the supraclavicular lymph nodes or the suprafascial inguinal lymph nodes. The supraclavicular nodes are located inferiorly within the posterior triangle of the neck and the fat between the omohyoid muscle and the anterior scalene. This is supplied by the transverse cervical vessels. And just remember to be cautious when harvesting on the left side to avoid injury to the thoracic duct. Uh, usually contralateral nodes are harvested to avoid further exacerbation of upper extremity lymphedema. The superficial inguinal lymph nodes are supplied by the superficial circumflex iliac vessels off of the femoral artery and are located in the subscarpus fat between the inguinal ligament and the groin crease. And it's important to remain superficial to the groin crease in order not to disrupt the lymph nodes that drain the lower extremity. I actually saw a great case of this um, when I was a sub-eye where we did a, a vascularized lymph node transfer from the uh, jejunal mesenteric lymph nodes to the upper extremity. So there's oh, a lot beautiful. of different donor sites that are that I think you know may pop up on a test or you may see, but really cool field. Yeah, this is um, quite a hot topic and there's kind of a lot of research out there. Most of the outcome studies have been pretty promising. So studies of LVA reveal that there's a 35 to 50% reduction in extremity circumference or volume with mean follow-ups of greater than one year. And other studies have shown that subjectively, almost 100% of patients report improvement in symptoms with a mean volume reduction of about 40%. Most studies show that the benefit is greater when performed in earlier stages of lymphedema as opposed to advanced lymphedema. For vascularized lymph node transfers, there have been many studies that show reductions of extremity circumference and volume of about 30 to 60%, and patient-reported outcomes to evaluate quality of life found improvement in all measured domains for both upper and lower extremity lymphedema patients. In terms of complications, um, one uh, potential complication of a vascularized lymph node transfer could be iatrogenic lymphedema of the ipsilateral extremity. So you should perform reverse lymphatic mapping to identify critical lymph nodes in the lower extremity to avoid an astrogenic injury. Nick, do you want to take us through some of the ablative surgeries? Sounds good. Uh, so the main goal of, abl of the ablative techniques uh, to approach lymphedema is to remove excess skin or subcutaneous tissue, and, and they serve to decrease bulk and improve functional status and hygiene. This is typically indicated in the more advanced stages of lymphedema that have progressed to fibrosis and fatty infiltration or lipedema. Uh, so first is the Charles procedure. And this technique is the earliest described procedure and involves resection of the skin and subcutaneous tissue to either the deep fascia or the underlying epimysium. The wounds are then resurfaced with skin grafts. And these skin grafts may actually be taken from the resected tissue. This ablates the superficial lymphatics and may cause exacerbation of lymphedema along the foot. Uh, another procedure is the stage subcutaneous excision, and this is the Homan technique. This is another method to debulk areas of chronic lymphedema without the need for skin grafting. Uh, longitudinal incisions are made with wide elevation of skin subcutaneous flaps. Uh, fibrotic subcutaneous tissue is then resected down to the epimysium and redundant skin is removed. This is repeated in stages until the extremity, extremity is sufficiently debulked. You can also do a suction lipectomy, and this has been used in advanced lymphedema patients who do not have significant pitting edema. Large volume lipo aspirate may be removed, and it's important to utilize compression directly after the procedure and for the rest of the patient's life. Uh, examples 
of patients or situations that may require an ablative procedure are uh, paniculus morbidus. This is a severe form of abdominal lipodystrophy, um, which prevents weight loss. Um, and a paniculectomy can be performed with primary closure. Penile lymphedema is treated with excision and skin grafting. And chronic lymphedema um, with in recurrent infections is treated with excision over liposuction. So just kind of taking a step back and thinking about our treatment algorithm, um, patients in general are amenable to physiologic interventions if they are responsive to non-surgical therapy and have significant pitting edema. Patients are not amenable to physiologic interventions such as vascularized lymph node transfer or lymphovenous anastomosis if they have no improvement with, with non-surgical techniques and no longer experience pitting edema. And this is a sign of increasing fibrosis and adiposity. When choosing vascularized lymph node transfer or lymphovenous anastomosis, it's important to take into account reasons for lymphedema. If they are secondary to surgery or radiation therapy and do not have suitable lymphatic vessels based on imaging, vascularized lymph node transfer is optimal. If they do have suitable lymphatic vessels, you may include this uh, in the treatment regimen or perform alone if lymph node basins were not destroyed. And finally, just a word on lymphatic malformations. Um, these are typically treated with sclerotherapy uh, with an agent like doxycycline. They may become infected and require excision, although this is second line for a non-complicated lymphatic malformation. And cystic hygromas or lymph-filled uh, fluid sacs that result from a blockage in lymphatics. And these are soft and compressible. That wraps up our uh, quick hits on lymphedema. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com. 